Right, we're rolling. On this podcast, we'll be talking about different areas of business and all things marketing. My name is Dave Doyle. And I'm Dave Alton. This is Social Antics, another marketing podcast. This week on Social Antics, we are delighted to be joined by Stephen Ryan. Stephen's well known around Cork and Ireland for his work with Red FM. Uh, one of Europe's biggest and, and best uh, tourist attractions for a wildlife and recently with his work with narration and 24 stories. Stephen, welcome to Social Antics. How are you keeping? Not too bad, Dave. Uh, and to, to the two Daves here in this in this case, I'm good. Yourselves? Good, good, good. We haven't come up with a system yet, so we, we'll try and figure out who you're talking to. Oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> How, how have things been anyway over the, over I suppose, 12 months, I suppose? We, we haven't really seen you since then uh, with all the lockdowns. How have you been keeping? Uh, I'm not doing too bad. Look, this is, uh, I have a, a coffee in my hand. It's actually Velo coffee, so it's kind of like product placement here. Good and stuff. just uh, Good stuff. Uh, and plenty of that keep me going because of the amount of Zoom calls. And uh, you might notice there, uh, obviously, for the people listening to the podcast, they won't, they won't see it. But um, I blew tinges on my glasses to get new glasses last week because I've spent so much time on screens in the last 12 months that my eyes have deteriorated just from screen images. I'm more tired than anything else. So that's that's kind of first world problems, but yeah, it's all been about digital, I suppose, in the last last twelve months, and it will be for the foreseeable future. It looks like as well, like you know, and maybe we we'll see this whole idea of a blended world and when things come back to normal, because I I think um, there's a part of me has got used to some of this as well, you know. I wonder um, with that though is that like I think it's going to eventually go that way. Mm. But I'm wondering, in the initial few months, are people just going to go on a complete digital detox yeah. and just go, I'm not doing a Zoom meeting, I'm meeting yeah. people for coffees, I'm not yeah. watching films, I'm going to the pub, I'm going to matches. Because I think, like like yourself there, like my eyesight wasn't great to begin with. And yeah. I was meant to get glasses at the very start of the first lockdown. Mm. And I just haven't got them just purely on the basis that, you know, you're in some eyes are shagged anyway, do you know what I mean? So it's not going to make any fucking difference at this stage. Um, but I think people are just going to be, once people can take the shackles off, the shackles are going to come off in a big way, I think. Yeah, I'd, I, I'd, I'd say that will happen, yeah. And and then it'll be, once things settle down, people, it'll be interesting to see what way people go after that. But I think the whole, what I'd be really looking at there is the whole kind of, com, like not conferencing, but I suppose the whole corporate sector and corporate travel and things like that, it's going to be really interesting to see what way that goes in the future. I mean, uh, Will they really fly people all over the world for a meeting for a day or two when they could do when people are used to it now doing it on a Zoom call or? On a no, I, I think I think corporate travel. I think it's dead. Yeah. I think it's dead in the water. I yeah. think there is no. There are people who have run multi-million billion dollar enterprises from Zoom for the last number of months. And look, look, obviously for big, there are some meetings and there are some things that you need to do in person. Oh, yeah. I'm involved with a couple of things there now around kind of mergers and acquisitions and stuff like that at the moment and to fly someone into the country and get it over and done with in the space of two weeks has taken almost the bones of eight months to get done just purely on the basis of you can't do certain things unless you're in person. But in terms of those little, do you know, if you have to go on, if you have to go to a site visit, or if you're visiting a manufacturing plant or something like that, 
then I understand the need for travel. But this idea of people going for a few meetings here and there, I, I think those I think those days are dead, to be honest. Yeah, so it's going to be really interesting. And, and there's a lot of hotels and there's a lot of business around that area too. Like, I mean, you know, midweek hotel travel, you know, the hotel stairs, flights, there's going to be people going to have to rethink all of that business and they're going to have to go after a new audience in the future, you know. They'll be glad of any audience, I suppose, when this is all over. But, like, yeah, that's one area that I'd be really interested to see what's going to happen. Um, and obviously the other thing, will will more people have a kind of a half-and-half half week with work as well, half their week at home, half their week in the office, and, sh- like, shared office environments whereby you don't really own a desk anymore. You're kind of, like, hot-desking in every organisation whoever's in on Monday or Tuesday or whatever you're in again, Wednesday, Thursday, that kind of a thing. Um, I'd say we're going to see more of that, you know, especially countries that maybe have a head office in Dublin um, or companies that have a head office in Dublin rather than maybe little offices around the country. They could have people in Kerry, they could have people in Galway, Cork, you name it. So, yeah, I, I, it's hard to know. We Maybe we will just reset the button and go back to where we were February last year, but I don't think so. In terms, of, I suppose, the, the, I said I'd bring it up early now and get the, you know, get it out in the open. The two of you are, I'm impartial, I suppose, here. Like, you're both involved in education at the moment, mm. whereas UCC and uh, I, I keep I keep wanting to say CIT, but I can't say that anymore. It's MTU, MTU now. Yeah. But um, how have you found that whole experience, I suppose, of actually, you know, delivering lectures online more so? I know you were doing a little bit before mm. with the online, but how have you found that whole transition? Yeah, it was interesting because... Yeah, I did have experience. There was a few of us had experience of doing it because we launched um, Masters in Digital Marketing part-time online about three years ago. Um, and um, it was a slow burner, to be honest, because one of the things that people really wanted was to be in a classroom. Um, but what was what we've seen now is we've seen that, yeah, I suppose under the new guys of MTU, we've seen it open up to a whole realm of students across the country and um, we've people literally as far as Letterkenny, Sligo, you know lots from Dublin and um, the west of Ireland and stuff like that so the classes are very different to what they used to be before and even some of our international students are actually not in Cork they're actually overseas and um, so that that has changed Um interaction is a bit t- trickier we it's very hard to read the room you know you're 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 looking some uh, it's hard to tell people turn on their cameras because you don't know what way they're feeling at any given time so um it's not it's not for me to kind of tell them look lads turn on your cameras there yeah. um because i just people feel uncomfortable uh, and and sometimes it can be a distracting thing as well where they're looking at everyone else i find in the smaller classes it works better if their cameras are on the bigger classes it doesn't really matter because you can't see everybody anyway um the interaction on maybe some of the under the younger undergrads they they like actually putting questions into the chat box so they kind of like that whereas i find that the it's older students, unusual because they wouldn't do uh, it in person probably they wouldn't you see so maybe there's a false sense of security with them uh, so you get a slight bit more interaction than maybe you're used to with first years uh, whereas i i think some of the older students are trying to figure out um you know i think they're struggling with it uh um, so yeah interaction isn't this maybe strong uh, you get to, you'll always get the few that talk for the rest of the class you'll always get the three or four but that's the so you know the silent majority are the, are the ones that you'd worry about um but they're adapting to it there's there's some benefits uh, i think i've heard you talking about this as well the fact that you can get guest lectures on um 
so easily now. So easily, yeah. That's that's one thing, and it doesn't take up too much of their time. Um, you know, they can pop on for an hour and literally get back to their work straight away afterwards. So that's that has been a, a great benefit. Um, so we I probably had more guest lectures on than I've ever had before for that reason because usually I can't fit them in because they're they can't make it uh, at a specific time or whatever like that. So we can slot that stuff in. The other advantage to students is all these things are recorded as well. Um, so there's if you miss something. You can catch up on it, no? Or, or do a binge at the weekend. Yeah, and you, you can see you can see it coming up to assignments. That happens a lot. Yeah, you know. So the, yeah, the, the, it's different. It's do you do you think you had to? Um, and it's something we've talked about with uh, the two of us. Where over the last twelve months, have you had to adapt your what you teach and have to adapt the content and change it slightly, or or is it kind of a thing where? You know, we'll, we'll keep going the way we were and we'll see how it plays out, you know, and we don't want to change too much if, if the landscape hasn't changed when we come out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, well, I found I've had to put in more. Um, the conversations don't last as long mm. online. So if I was in a classroom, you can nearly, and, and, and Dave would probably notice as well, you can nearly see who's about to ask you a question as you glance around the room. You can kind of nearly... You could focus in on one or two people. There, you you could see that they're just about to kind of say something. So you 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 stop. You give them a chance. You don't know that actually when you're online. So you kind of keep talking. So maybe they're afraid to interrupt you. Um. So it's it's it. That's the trickier one. But you go through content faster yeah. online. So if I had to put in a lot more case studies and I try and I suppose what I do a bit more now than I wouldn't in classes I put them into groups and stuff that is the thing that you can do put them into like breakout rooms and stuff like that Um, although I, I have phone as well that when I've done that sometimes students drop off the call so then I've, I've heard that all right I don't do breakout rooms myself because I just if I was in that situation I'd hate it and it's not yeah. something you do in a normal lecture yeah. But I've heard some of my colleagues saying that as soon as the word breakout rooms is ushered, you can see the numbers just going bang, yeah. bang, 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 down, down, like, do you know what I mean? And it's totally, like, I have to say, for me, it's been a very negative experience. There are some, there are some benefits, like you said, they're guest lectures and yeah. things like that. I think the recording aspect, I think, is a negative, personally. Mm-hmm. I think that, no, I don't care what anyone says, there's a big difference between someone going back on something and reviewing it. Yeah. versus learning it for the first time in an online environment. If you're in an online environment, you're looking at your phone, you're you know, sipping away on bloody tea, you're looking around the yeah. room. If you're in a lecture, by way of the way a lecture is designed, and this was, if you go back to even the history of why a lecture is designed in a certain way, it's designed to create an immersive experience where you're focused on what is being said and what is being delivered. Mm. I don't think that happens in an online environment. And for me, the hardest thing, and you kind of you kind of mentioned it there, even if people are asking questions in a, in a in an online environment, one thing that you lose is your ability to read a room. Yeah, and you can kind of get a sense of they're getting this, they're not understanding this, and I'd even know I'd even know this year there'd be points in the lecture where you know they don't understand this, and it's you 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 teach so that they don't understand it fully because you want them to ask the question and you yeah. can elaborate upon it. Now you're asking, and do you all understand this? And it's radio silence and you're going, I know you don't understand this because no other year before you has understood this, you know? So I think it's, uh, it, 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 for me, it, it's been very negative, I have to say. And the main, th- look, and I think there is a difference as well between people doing online classes when everyone is locked inside anyway. 
I think in a world whereby people are out and about on campus, that blended experience is probably not as, it's not going to be as easy as people think it is, I'd say. Like, where do yeah, people go if they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're watching a lecture? Do they go back to their home? Do they have to go to the library? Is there enough space in the library for them to listen to a lecture? Do you know, how does that actually happen if you've back-to-back classes or if your campus is very, very spread out? So I think it's, I think the blended approach is the way to go in a variety of different ways, guest lectures and so on and so forth. But in terms of, uh, I would worry that people were, that universities, I'd say, can save a few bob here on building stuff and maintenance and stuff like that where we try and put more online and I would worry that's what a lot of people may try and do yeah that's a big worry yeah yeah and I think that will fail in the long term uh, I'm sure Dave you're you're a bit like myself um you missed the kind of uh, I always see lecturing as a bit of an entertainment factor as well because you have to um if you're standing at the top it's a performance room, yeah it's a performance and and the performance is 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 not there with online. It's very hard to perform online. I, I was interested because I was doing um as part of Erasmus uh, Erasmus program there. We're partnered with OUT Leon and um, they asked. I was over there two years ago giving guest lectures, and uh, they just about understood the TikTok accent that I have. But uh, um, <laughs> um, so I was giving a lecture two weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago. Now I gave a lecture again, but I was talking to the guy that was coordinated beforehand. And he says, uh, I said to him, I, I presume you're online like us. He says, yeah. He says, it's like, uh, he says, we're on TV now. And I said, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. You know, I, says, yeah. I said, I feel, I feel like presenting the news at six o'clock, you know, like in Kat- Katrina Perry or bloody Dave McCullough or something like that sitting there. Because that's what you're kind of doing, actually. Because you're throwing a few things up, a few vi- videos up, you know, a few slides up and it's, you're talking all the way, but they only see your head and shoulders as such, like, you know. Probably another big aspect that's been missing um, and we've talked about it, and I know from my time in, out in, in a CIT, um, the whole aspect of actually getting to meet the people that you're in class with and, oh, yeah. you know, the networking, or, and I know CIT do a lot with in terms of, like, the marketing society out there and all this kind of stuff. That whole element is gone, and we've talked about it, like Dave said, we, we've said, you know, we hate to be a first year going into college nowadays because you're missing that whole college life you know and there's more to it than just sitting in the lecture in the lecture hall you know you're missing the 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 social side of it as well which which is a huge aspect and coming in in terms of you know in our profession and in terms of marketing it's all about networking you know and it's all about getting to know who's sitting beside you whether it's in the business or a class coming out of it like you know and i've met some of the some you know great friends but also in terms of business you know people that i would call on out of cit so you're missing that whole aspect as well which is going to be a, a, a new um, a new boundary to deal with when they come out the coffee break is a huge a huge loss in particular they have that 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 program that you were that you were on so like the masters like i suppose the master in digital marketing strategy in particular it's like a core group of people like you would have 20 people and they could all be gathered around one or two tables yeah and there might be nobody else on campus because it could be a saturday morning and depending on what time you had the class or whatever or it could be you know wednesday night and um, it was also as great as you were sitting down with you could like say mm-hmm. like yourself or the other lecturers yeah and um, do you know what, what I like is you know the fact that it's coming from someone that's working in the profession so you're able to bounce ideas off yeah. the lecturers as well which is great you know so that's um, all I got like yeah. it, that's the thing like that, like you know like one of one of the big negatives is there's there's a whole group of students that I have this year it's our first first time doing a full-time master's in digital marketing strategy and I've never met the class in person you know 
and there's going to come a time I'm going to walk past one of them in the street, I'd say. And they're going to say, there's, hello. Your, man, there's your man off the telly. There's your man off the news. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to say hello to me. And I'm going to be like, who's that? You know, like, was, that would never happen. You know, that would never happen with the with, with the, the, the other groups that I've had on campus. Obviously, it would happen with some of the undergrads because I'm sure, I'm sure they would know from UCC when you have a big class of over 100 or whatever, it's impossible to know all their names. It's just impossible. You will never know all their names. Oh, you won't, you won't even have the opportunity to learn their name once, never mind remember it. Like, it's not, it, it's not conducive to it. Um, but that, that being said, as I always say, when you're when you're when you're when you're doing a lecture, you're lecturing to only a few people, but you're ultimately lecturing to everyone. And through building a relationship with a few people in the audience, you're kind of building relationship with the whole room. It's almost like a comedian factor, right? I'm not, I'm not describing lectures as comedians, yeah, yeah. but like if you're talking, one, oh, that's <laughs> it. I know. Yeah, it depends on what it depends on what class it is. Nine o'clock on a Monday morning after Monday club, you'd be surprised. Like, but um, but it's a very um. That relation, I think I've said this a few times, it's changed what has been a very, very relational process into a transactional one yeah. in that you're almost dumping information on people and it's up to them to do all of the work. Whereas before there was that element of a kind of a co-production going on between them and yourself in terms of the overall performance. And no, I think, look, it's, it'll be interesting to see how we get in, but no, I can't, I cannot wait to get back on campus now, I have to say. Yeah, it'd be good when, when we get back. Like, yeah. Uh, it did happen to me one day, actually, because speaking of, like, I had history of this, obviously, as I said, well, ago, three years ago, we launched that one, and I was inside, and I think it was Douglas Village Shop Centre one day, and this girl comes up to me, she says, hi, and I looked, and she says, <laughs> I'm on your class online, she said, loving the lectures, and I was like, oh, sorry, I said, I wouldn't know all the people on the online course, I said, and you're, which, which one are you? <laughs> yeah, I said, I have to go back and check the list, you know, and then, of course, the good thing about that is, and I always say that to students as well, is like, make sure that you tell us because like, it's very hard for us to remember everybody. So like, if you engage online, that's probably the best thing that you can do. So if you comment back on a social media post or something like that, eventually you get to know somebody over time. And like, you know, that kind of idea. And of course, what I would have done straight away is it was great to meet such a person the other day. Uh, I got to meet one of you in the real world at last. And, and it's that kind of joking, you know, that 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 will probably happen in the future again, where we'll probably have a whole cohort of students. I got, you know, I go through the village there one, one or two days there and there'll be cars beeping at me. All right, Stephen. And I'd be like, who is that? Like, I'm sure it's a student, like, you know what I mean? You know, you're seeing these people, like, I think in the last semester, I had 350 of them. And I'd say of that, I've only lectured about maybe 60 of them in person before, you know? So that means that there's 280 floating around that I never lectured in person, you know? So, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a different world. If I call it, have you had any, um, have you had any embarrassing moments running into students outside of lectures by any chance? Because I've yeah, got this one. Is not, which this is not the place for this now. No, I behave myself outside of college. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't that at all. I was in a pub. I was in a pub. I was in the Raven, actually. And um, in with a, with a group of my mates and yeah. sat down at a table. There was a group of people next there. They were students. I didn't include. They were students from two years ago. I just didn't recognize them, whatever. And um, I went out and I went on the I went on the phone and I could hear just as I was walking out the kind of out the door. Um, one of the the group in the in the in the group next to us uh, whispered to one of his mates, "That's Digital Dave." 
I swear to God, I was with two of my mates and they spat their points all over the fucking place. They were like, this is the funniest thing that's ever fucking happened. And that's a name that I haven't shook since with my mates, like, which is absolutely so. Thanks very much to that group of students, whoever you are. It is funny when you come in, like, you know, the big thing I get is from my kids, are they one, anyone that says hello? Are they one of your students, Dad? Like, every, like because they've had so many situations whereby, like, for example, down in Killarney last summer, uh, doing the old staycation thing and uh, walked into, I think it was Murphy's ice cream and I was getting ice cream. Hi, Stephen, how are you? And it was one of my students and then walking down the road, there was another one and then into another place, there was another one again. I was up in Kildare, there was one, I bumped into one. So no matter where I was in the country, I was starting to bump into to either current students or past students. So you get a lot of that. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. That you, like you, do, you don't kind of realise how many people you come across when you're, when you're lecturing like that over your life. Uh, and I've only been doing this game now. I've been doing it, what, seven years or something like that. But and, and already speak, into the thousands, like, you know. And speaking of that, Stephen, I suppose, like, so we're getting to probably the, the, the career moves in the minute. Yeah, but yeah. Did you always... Did you always envisage yourself going into lecturing? Like, was it always an, a, a path for you? Not at all. No, not at all. Um, if you had asked me that question, I would say, when did it change? I would say maybe it was gone. To, it was over ten years ago. I'd say uh, that maybe. I, I, the first taste I got of this was, I suppose, when I started to do guest talks on Photo for Falls Ireland, and that was, I would say, around two thousand and nine. And the reason I was asked to do guest talks is we were the first crowd to do social media. And uh, I was doing a talk and then I gave a talk for a British and Irish zoo conference. Um, and I just started getting asked for loads of different county council, the Chamber of Commerce. They were all starting to ask me to give these talks. And for a while, it was interesting. For a while, I was kind of giving the, the same talk. And then after a while, you see the same people starting appear in front of you so you're changing it up then you're completely you have to change because you can't be the one trick pony because i've seen people do that over the years and i'm kind of turning up and saying here they go again here's the same story so i'd always figure out who's in the room first try and judge the audience so then i kind of got into it and i suppose it came to 2014 and i remember having a coffee uh with po in um out in cit at the time and po was only kind of after taking over as the head of um marketing and international business and he said look they were looking at doing um, a, a new course he said for uh, for people who had done their degree but wanted to learn a bit about digital would would i be would i be interested in lecturing on it and i said yeah definitely he said would you throw your name into the ring i think you'd be a great candidate for it he said lots of people have mentioned your name around the place uh, from they've heard you doing guest talks and this and that, that's kind of where it kicked off i suppose um, so I applied and my first year I gave one class, the next year I was doing two classes and, and then all of a sudden I'm there more than I'm anywhere else. Um, so it kind of it kind of happened by default, but what I, what I found is I started to like it as I started to do a bit more of it. Um, yeah, so, uh, and I flipped it on its head then I suppose maybe two to three years ago where I kind of said, okay, I want to do this kind of more of the time and then some other stuff as well, you know. Um, but yeah, never like I'd say when I was doing my degree and my my masters, I'd never had envisaged to come back as a lecturer. You know, and, and I don't think anyone does really. Like it is a oh. strange career and a very very small amount of people as a relative as a proportion yeah. to other kind of jobs. 
actually end up doing it. And I suppose it's like, it was always like, even when I went into, when I started off my undergrad degree, however many years ago that was, you're being lectured by people and you're kind of like, like, what do they do to, to be a lecturer? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah, as if you go get there, and get yeah. a lecture qualification. Do you know what I mean? So it's a strange, it's a very, very strange one in terms of how it's, um, in terms of how it works. Yeah, and it's different. As you said, it's, like I never thought of that way. It's different to primary or secondary school teachers where, whereby there's a lot more of them because their classes are smaller in size usually, you know, with us it's, you know, there's bigger numbers. So like, you, you as you, you know, 120 in a class or something like that, you know, you, you know, you, you're going to have less of us in general. Uh, and of course, not everyone goes into college either. That's the other thing. So whereas everyone does go to primary school and secondary school. So the and numbers speak, are smaller. And speaking of that then, have you seen over the, like, I've definitely noticed that even in the last couple of years, but have you seen um, a big intake in terms of people going towards marketing as a career? Oh yeah, big time. Um, I say this to students as well a lot. Uh, like, I mean, our department, for example, to give you an indication of our department, when PO took over, I think, there was about 150 students. I think we're up to 900 now. Um, uh, it got to the stage where we were the kind of little bit at the end when it came to graduations. And if we were to do a real days one now, for example, like, you know, like when they have the graduation days, I think we actually would have a full day just by ourselves. That was supposed to happen in, in 2020, uh, but it was virtual instead. But So, like, that's how it's gone. But I, I've also said to students years ago, I would have said if anyone had, had a qualification in marketing, like I said, you know, you're going to end up in Dublin. You know, realistically, that's where you're going to end up. But actually, no, I was only going to show the students yesterday, I was going through something, and I was just going through LinkedIn, and I was looking at the amount of marketing jobs floating around like in Cork is phenomenal. Marketing has become a bit like accounting because what has happened is that... Oh, geez, don't say, don't, <laughs> don't, worry. don't ruin the profession, please. Don't, don't worry, I always, Dave would notice, I always have a go off the accountants if I hear an accountant in the room. Um, but uh, like what's happening is businesses are taking it serious. So even the small businesses have someone doing marketing. No, Whereas that was never even thought of before. So you have companies now that might have 10 employees and one of them will be doing some sort of marketing because what they're really doing is they're looking after social, which is also looking after customer care, which is also looking after maybe distribution or logistics or anything like that because it's part of that process. If they have e-commerce, uh, lead generation or anything like that. So just marketing is, is having a huge role in, in, in office environments now, but in retail, in so many different, in food, hospitality, you name it. Um, whereas I said before, it was handed off to an agency and it was an afterthought. You see, the, the thing was, if you had a load of cash, you just went into the newspaper or the radio station or TV station. If you really had serious money and you spent the, uh, your ad budget there and that was it, job done, you can't walk away from marketing. No, you can't just kind of spend money and walk away. You have to monitor it. But most of the time, you have to create content as well. It's not good enough just to, like, there's no point spending money on advertising if you have nothing to back it up when they come to the website. You know, if there's nothing on the website, there's nothing on their Facebook or nothing on their Instagram or wherever they are trying to get the audience. So as a result, I've seen, like, a huge shift towards looking for marketeers. And um, and the most bizarre companies even, like, you know, like small, little tiny businesses like little cafes are looking for marketeers now whereas before they wouldn't they wouldn't even spend money on an ad 
it's a changing environment though when like I always give the example before that digital has leveled the playing field mm. but it's also increased the cost if, if you are to take advertising as a cost now you should never look at advertising as a cost center but if you are to take it as a cost when you're doing like your budget at the start of the year before unless you could spend a hundred grand minimum on your ad in the Irish Examiner or your your campaign I should say in the Irish Examiner with your billboards or you had enough budget to go on television if you didn't have that minimum threshold you were not playing that game because you just couldn't afford it yeah, now yeah. if you have a budget of 200 quid a month you're playing that game and it doesn't matter what you're spending on distribution in terms of 200 quid 500 quid 10 grand the content is what's going to differentiate you ultimately yeah, and therefore exactly. you still have to invest in your marketers and what and your content creators and so on and so forth no i've started like in the last now six months i've worked with three or four companies who before to be honest which i wouldn't have even thought of working for because i'm just like oh they're a bit they're a bit small I'm going to be a bit expensive. This is going to be a bit of a challenge. Whereas now they're kind of going, no, 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 we want you and we want you to hire in an e-commerce manager as well on top of that because we're digitizing and we want this to be almost like a new store for us, which it is. But they wouldn't have looked at that previously. It would have been kind of a standalone brochure or website and they would have left it there for years and years on end kind of a thing. So no, I think the, I think the opportunities for kids nowadays to get into marketing at an early stage is, is, is much, is, is much changed and the proper marketing jobs as well. Before yeah. you'd have a lot of what, what would fall into, they were either called marketing assistants or marketing administration, which is basically you're doing 90% kind of customer support yeah. and a little bit on the side, whereas now there's proper, really interesting jobs out there. I think we, we spoke about at the very start, uh, when we started doing this podcast, it was around that kind of time where businesses started, you know, kind of switching to online and started switching to to looking at and doing a bit of e-commerce and because they had to, they had no other choice. If they wanted yeah. to survive, they needed to do either click and collect or deliveries or whatever. And businesses, as you already said, that never even knew what marketing was, you know, never had any interest in it, had a Facebook page, they might have posted last year sometimes, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, get it up every couple of months, every now and again, they get a post up. But, but put, now putting serious work into it, being creative, I think I talked about it before, about you know they're putting that kind of entrepreneurial cap back on to see what they can do with yeah. the resources that they have. So it's great to see that. And obviously the students of both of your courses are going to be benefiting from that going yeah. forward. There's a huge appetite for it there. And actually, I think in many ways, we're going to have to, and I've said this before, um, I, just before, the last, one of the last talks I did outside of, of, um, of college before COVID, um, was I gave a talk to transition year students out in um, transition year, fifth year, and actually sixth year, I think, as well, out in Coachford Community College. They asked me to come out. They asked for someone from from um, the college to come out and, and give a talk about marketing uh, as a course, as an option. And the amount of students that kind of didn't realize what was involved in marketing was phenomenal, which kind of made me think that there wasn't a job being done at second level on this, that it, it, it's seen as the kind of poor relation of being, you know, uh, of an accountant or uh, a lawyer or a solicitor or, you know, like the other traditional kind of office based type of jobs. And um, I remember at one of the open days, a parent came up to me. This was, again, at one of the open days for uh, the college back in November 2019 or something. He says, what kind of money do they pay? No, he says, and that. <laughs> That's all he was thinking about. Like, I said, like, but it, like, <laughs> I said, how long is a piece of string? It depends on how good you are, like. 
you know, it comes down to is some people are on serious money, other people, yeah, they're at the bottom, but that's in every industry. We talked we talked about as well over the last couple of weeks about um probably why the rise in people going into social media and stuff like that is due mm. to this whole, you know, we try not get too far into it, the whole area of the old influencers, yeah. you know, that people are seeing, geez, there's a bit of money to be made and putting up a couple of pictures every now and again, you know, that kind of a thing. So yeah. that's definitely probably increased the, the, the want there for it to go into this area. Yeah, but what's interesting about that, and, and I know you don't want to go into that area, but a lot of them are getting don't, serious. Don't, don't get a lot, there. Yeah, a lot, I've seen a lot of them come into college and do our course by night. Um, why? Because they want to get the business acumen to back up the soft sell that they're doing online because they want to have longevity as well. They want to figure out what else they could do uh, and put some sort of strategies towards it and figure out kind of partnerships and things like that going forward so that they're not being kind. So we're we're seeing lots of different. So we're seeing the creative people, people that maybe like I had, a, I had a guy in a course last year, and he's a bit of a comedian, and he was he was into do what I fashion bloggers in, like people that were into food, you know, coming into to learn kind of a bit more about marketing because they got they you know they got a feel for it because of social, but now they're kind of saying what else could we learn, you know, that we could maybe step up another bit, and I think that exact same thing is happening with small businesses all over the country i mean there was a fascinating stat i think it was from pwc or deloitte before covid 25 percent of irish businesses still didn't have a website i mean that's crazy like you know like that they, they couldn't be found online you know and um i'm sure there's still probably a few that haven't gone and gone on in there and um, and some people think it's all you know, pretend it's like, you know, the, the colouring department, as they call marketing, like at times, like, you know, they think it's just all made up stuff. It's not like just because you can't prove that that marketing doesn't work unless you do a bit of research doesn't mean that it isn't working. It's just the fact that, you know, somebody needs to hear about your brand somewhere. And today it's on social. Today it's on digital. Um, just like in the past, it was happening in the local pub. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. it's changed like. That being said, and I was actually talking to a pretty, pretty high up fella now in terms of business circles in Ireland in general, and he made an interesting enough point, um, was that he said there's there has been a massive increase in the amount of students specialising in marketing coming from kind of traditional business studies or commerce courses or actually doing marketing courses from the start. And what he said was that depending on the course that you come from, there is a lot of people who are lacking in they're good at the market in terms of understanding social media, how it works, brand. Very, very little commercial awareness. Yeah. Like I would, I would actually find, and I do that with my and my students are kind of looking at me going, why are we talking about business models and your dispersion of, of, of trends and consume all this kind of stuff? And I'm kind of like, unless you understand where the commercial opportunity is, you're strategizing around nothing. Yeah. You need yeah. some sort of objective to aim towards. And I think that. I think we will actually end up in a situation whereby, like the same way that the accountants are now kind of accredited by a variety of bodies, I think you will end up in a situation whereby you will be accredited as a marketer for having a certain certain skill sets um, in terms of budgeting, understanding Google Analytics, understanding Facebook, all these kind of things, because it's now getting so technical that there's a lot of people out there bluffing, not really yeah. knowing about these things, or they're very, very good at social media and they're not good at analytics, yeah. and that's okay. Art is a uh, marketing is a blend of art and science. I've, okay. always been, I've always kind of said that, but you can't pitch yeah. yourself as the marketer who is all knowing if you're really, really good at content creation, but you're weak on the analytics side. 
I think there needs to be, I think businesses need to be honest with themselves in terms of what they need. And I think marketers need to be honest with themselves in terms of what type of marketer are you? Like in the same way that you have fund yeah. accountants, you have tax accountants, you have audit accountants. It's obviously different types of marketing. I was going well. to say the same and, thing. Yeah. You know, and we're all we're all kind of lumped into the same the same bucket in many ways. And I think that is something that is probably going to become more refined in the next kind of five to ten years. I think. So take, taking it back then to the start. So we. We know you, you definitely. Forty know minutes in, and we're going back to the start. No, we're going back to the start because we never got to talk about it. If you gave me an option now Jesus. of a dream job, Jesus, we'd be here for about three hours. No, what? if you gave me the option of a dream job, I'm telling you, it's going to be sitting down in photo, looking out at the monkeys swinging around the place. And um, to me, that yeah. that that was a fantastic job for you. But what I really find interesting is you were there at the start of the whole kind of, I suppose, the, the digital. I think I heard you calling it before, like the whole digital revolution. I suppose so. How how yeah, how yeah. was that whole era? How was that whole time? I suppose of actually coming from, we already talked about it there. You know, looking at your traditional budget budgets each, each each year. Do you know to yeah. to to transfer it into digital? It was a nice time to win because if you're first in, I'm I'm sure you're all familiar with the phrase first in wins." Like, and it kind of was a bit like that because no, everyone else was kind of dismissing it at the time. If you think about social. Um, I remember I, I joined Ford in November 2008 and I went to a talk in the Elysium. The Elysium was only after opening, I think, actually. And they had a talk among this kind of showrooms downstairs um, where Aldi is actually now. Um, uh, in December, I think the Marketing Institute was putting a talk on. There was a guy from Meteor talking at it. And uh, he was talking about how they were putting a budget into social this Christmas. And he said they were putting it behind Bebo. Uh, and it was they had this mobile genie, and the whole campaign was to get the young audience because all the college students were on this platform, Bebo. And I had been playing around with Bebo. I, at this point, I had got loads of people asking me to join Facebook, and, and I always kind of was like, ah, no, that's a load of nonsense, people sharing rubbish. But it was when I saw how it could benefit business, I started getting interested in the whole thing. And I could, like at this point in Ireland, very few people were on social. And I actually think the, t- the turning point for social in Ireland was 2010. That was mainstream. And that mainly came down to smartphones kind of becoming a bit bigger, coming a bit cheaper, things like that as well. Um, so I was able to experiment. But most of my budget was being spent on traditional still. But my time, I had time to spend. You see, when you when you put a lot of your focus on traditional marketing at the start of the year, because we were seasonal in terms of our the majority of our visitors would come between March and September, and then the winter months is quiet. So I went in in November, so I was able to get my the ground running kind of quick in terms of getting all my campaigns ready for you know print, radio, um. We weren't doing billboard back then. We were kind of doing a lot of brochures and kind of hotel magazines and all that kind of stuff. And um, I started fooling around with social because we were building a website. Uh, and when we built the website, I always remember talking to lads and uh, well, there was only three of them that time, Jory in Studio 49. And I was telling Jory, I said, look, Jory, I want some sort of interaction with social media. I was only setting up the accounts. I set up photos, Facebook page, you know, a Twitter account, YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff. And I said, I, you know, I think this is going to be big for us, but I'm not going to properly launch them until our website is ready. Because I felt that what's the point in having 
building an audience on social and talking and trying to refer them to a site that was awful. I felt that if I if the site was right by the summer that year, that we could really push it. And of course, you'd have people in the park. And what I did, first of all, to get people to sign up, I put posters all over the park, follow us on Facebook. Of course, there was only going to be a small percentage of people that would actually probably follow us because they didn't have the, the, the platform. But as time moved on, they got into the habit of doing it. Um, and then what we did was we did competitions. So when we did name the name the animals or whatever, I always remember like I put the competition out there. I'd say name a giraffe, name name a, a, a monkey or or, or, or or cheetah. And what they would do is when they came to the website, they might hear it on radio or they might see it on the RT news or something like that. When they came to the website, they'd fill in the details. I had survey monkey embedded. So when they clicked the submit, it would bring them to our Facebook page so that that would be where they're finishing up. So at that point, then they might, if they were actually already logged into Facebook on their laptop, they were probably going to press the like button and we built an audience on the back of it. So it grew bit by bit. And every year I would have said it would nearly double. So it, in year one, it was like 6,000. Year two was like 12. Then it went up to kind of 24. And I think in 2014, it catapulted because I kind of spotted the kind of, I suppose an opportunity that if we did competitions on a, on a consistent level around the same time every week, once a week, we could build an audience. And that's, that's kind of some of the fun I had around it. So, you know, it was great. It was like a blank canvas at the start. Nowadays, I feel sorry for people because the channels are kind of established. Bar maybe TikTok, there's a bit of opportunity there. It's much harder to get organic reach on the platforms now than when it was back then. So like nearly every post I put up on Facebook in 2009, 2010 was getting at least 60% reach, you know, at least some of them were getting 300, 400, 1000% in some cases, you know, so there was huge opportunities to grow. And do you think people miss out on that element of using social, especially probably people that are new to the platform, but, but missing out on that element of it's there as a, as a communication platform to build an audience but build a relationship as well i always thought it was a community based more so than than a revenue kind of thing i always felt this was you know you know you're all familiar with the digital trifecta and this idea of owned media it wasn't a term when i first started doing it i, I was just thinking i want to build a community online that i can talk to that's basically and i always thought it as a as a place the bigger this is the better chance that I have grown the business in the real world. That's as simple as that because the maths will work because there's always going to be a certain element of them will want to come. And if you're telling them over and over and over again how great something is or what's happening, the news of events and all that kind of stuff, it's going to trigger and it's going to have be top of mind because if we keep seeing things over and over and over again, it's going to resonate with us after a while. And so when it comes to a lovely sunny morning and it's a Sunday, you're going to pick photo because boy, you're after seeing it about five times in the week already, and it's been it's been part of your kind of on your agenda to do at some stage. And now you think, well, it's a beautiful day. Why don't we go down? And then all of a sudden, I put up a post on the Sunday morning, and away it goes. So yeah, I think people are missing that. I think people are forgetting the fact that build a community. Too much focus on social is is selling. You know, too much focus is actually what I hate on social is the amount of ads. It drives me crackers. Um, and um, I know the platforms obviously need it, but I actually, I think um, some businesses are spending way too much money on it as well. 
and and I think that if they, especially some of the stuff I hear is like the retargeting, um, programmatic stuff like that. Like I mean, it reminds me of a bad stalker. If they want to buy the, buy something from you, they'll buy it when they're ready. You don't need to haunt them for two weeks um, online just because they visited your website. People do research as well. I mean, Lesbian A has done a lot of stuff around this and and he's looked at this whole idea that, you know, when you search on Google, usually there is an intent to buy, but there's about a month of a delay in, in some cases. And sometimes it could be even longer if it's a car. Like you're not, you're not going to just look up a car and then buy it straight away or a house. You know what I mean? So... People, I, I think people need to go back to that kind of what social was um, and and that is to talk to people, to kind of communicate with them, to find I think, I think when, you look at, when you look at platforms like Facebook, I've definitely seen, like we, we've all seen it in terms of reach, it definitely is going down in terms of, yeah. you know, because you're not paying to play and the platform is just totally gone that way. Yeah. It's not too bad on the others, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not fully there as in taken over in terms of the ads yet like you can still if you do it right you can still have your your consistent audience um, yeah. as long as you're being consistent but um but i think there's definitely there's definitely um an area there for the advertising but i know what you're saying in terms of you know spending too much so would you say kind of put probably put more of that kind of that spend into the content creation side of things into creativity yeah without a doubt um i i think people are are, are putting putting a lot of money behind ads and sometimes their content is woeful mm. um, and actually we like to buy things that we kind of like as well that we can i suppose when we're looking at some we, we make decisions based on, on on what we see uh or, or possibly what we hear or what we feel or touch or whatever it's 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 that you know that stuff that we can kind of associate with maybe something really nice that happens in our life or whatever, we're, we're forgetting that. We're, we're forgetting that maybe a powerful video will do far better than chasing people around with a retargeted ad for about two weeks. You know, real strong video will do that. I mean, some great campaigns out there whereby, you know, they put out a nice video and people talk about them all of a sudden, you know, and the budgets. I mean, go back to, to Dove a few years ago, the, the real beauty sketches there. Like, I mean, it couldn't have possibly cost them that much money to make those because what they did was they got an FBI forensic artist and they, they paid people to come in and he, he did their picture. No, imagine that cost versus filming in loads of locations around the world, filming, you know, top actors and actresses and paying them money for it. It couldn't have been that expensive. And they didn't spend a load of money on the advertising, which was the key. It was a digital kind of campaign. And it was then backed up with some kind of billboard stuff around New York and places like that. They did um, the, the subway and, and, and those type of things. So, you know, there's a lot of great examples of campaigns that are actually really cheap to make video but it was taught into it like like video is an expensive thing but i think you pay for the quality of it more so do you know but i think you have to be it's not just we've we talked about it. we had um we had ray kyoder on a couple of weeks ago who's done work for myself and for himself and dave yeah. and it's more so about the, the, the thought and the process put yeah. into it the, the the creativity behind it and not just getting a videographer in and just saying here this is the video i want good luck to you do you know you have to actually yeah. put a bit of work and thought into it yeah you have to take your time i mean the most successful music video to ever come out of this country only cost 1500 euros to make you know take uh, me to church. church yeah you know i mean made in cork by by brendan and con um 
and you know phenomenal like what they did um, the other great one was and I had her at my first conference with Stephanie Rainey and she put out the video there like you know please don't go um, and it, I think it one and a half million views or something on Facebook and um, got a record deal with Warner you know and she got a friend to film that in, in, in a room and just got the people in to kind of be on the camera so I mean but there was a thought process in all of those you know so there was thought okay what do we need to put in here to kind of capture people's attention and that's what makes things go viral I mean you know an ad saying this it's only 9.99 or something this weekend like that's never going to go viral ever like it will not you're going to have to put money behind those and there's always a place for that there's always a place for activation sales activation but I think a lot of businesses are missing the brand building side and the brand building side is making great content that people will remember for years you know, and I'm not seeing as much of that recently. I, I, I have to say, I, th- I think marketing is going down a dangerous route of everything is, is, is kind of too targeted and too focused on, on, on advertising in, in recent times, digital advertising, you know, because um, some of the TV stuff, the brand building stuff is brilliant, you know? Yeah, I kind of, I'd agree and I disagree. Like, I mean, what I, like, if I was investing in, in, a, in a video, and I agree with you in terms of the creativity being the differentiator, like that, that's absolutely key. There's no, there's no question yeah. about that. But I think that there's, I think there's a bit of a misconception that all the stuff that you're selling, shall we say, or as you say, sales activation yeah. needs to be a paid ad. And all the stuff which is brand building is organic. Yeah. I would almost say that, like what I say, if I'm if I'm spending five grand, we'll say, on creating an ad, and I, I say an ad, a piece of content, be it a podcast or be it a be it a five minute interview or a mini documentary, whatever the case is, I'll say to I'll say to the client, whoever I'm working with, yeah, you're spending your five grand. You also need to spend five grand to advertise and push this to people, oh, because agree. otherwise, yeah. it's going to just go to your audience. And is reinforcement important? Yeah, of course it is. But if you want to reach a new audience, and like I don't mind like sponsored content to me, I'm a big pay-to-play guy. I love Facebook's advertising platform. As yeah, a marketer, yeah. it is an absolute dream to use um, in terms of its targeting. But ultimately, it comes back to the content. I have no problem investing a huge amount in advertising. I know myself would be different probably to you, Dave, and probably a little bit to you as well, Steve, in terms of I would go, I would invest more of my time in a good paid media strategy than I would in organic brand building nowadays yeah 10 years ago different story entirely but i think now there's so much power with those ad tools in terms of targeting now again you don't want to pester people i'm not saying that but if you are able to map out a journey and build in the right brand building properties across that journey and you can advertise that i think the return on investment is far higher than you're going to get off organic these days to be honest i think that's going back to what i said there around the it depends on the platform so as you said there facebook is kind of the the dream for targeting but if you look at the likes of instagram or you know um you know you mentioned tiktok there or whatever that's all about brand building that's all about yeah. creating the relationship and i think you can do a lot more on those platforms without the budget as long as you're doing it right organically kind of, I, I disagree on it i think instagram is paid 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 for me anyway but if you're consistent yeah. if you're consistent on instagram you will keep your you'll keep your you'll keep your you'll keep your viewership there and your audience there um, as long as you're consistent because the algorithm helps with that 
but yes, a little bit of money is going to have to be put in terms of making it bigger, making your audience bigger, and um, getting to further people. But I definitely think you can you can do a good job on Instagram with very little money. Yeah, and what's interesting, TikTok reminds me of the early days of Facebook because I see brands there are getting massive reach, and because it's the the for you page that they have is really interesting that it kind of populates stuff that you might like. So suggest things, even if you don't follow them and it's actually preferencing that type of stuff rather than the actual things that you're, the people that you're friends with or the companies that you've followed already. I was talking, there was a first year student of mine there recently and uh, she works for a, a cafe in town. Um, and she said that she put up a little video. So they asked her, would she do some TikTok videos um, of the products and um, one of the videos, 150,000 views. Like, that was incredible. Like, for a place that was only out, it was only the fourth video that they had put up, you know. Um, but because it, it engaged and it had kind of cool music on it and the whole thing looked really good, it just went viral for them. So I think that it, that, that's, that, that kind of thing is interesting because on a small scale, it works really well. But I'd agree, like, I'd agree with with Dave in terms of that you do have to spend money as well. I've, I've always, uh, I, the most famous quote, in, like he's passed away now, a former chairman of, of Foda. He said to me in one of the early days, he said, he said, you know what, Stephen? He said, you're the most expensive animal in this park. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was right, like, because he, it, I, I was a big believer. And if we spent the money, um, we could make a big brand out of Foda, you know? And, and I felt that that, that was it was a sleeping giant basically i was actually funny i think you i think i heard you saying this before actually in terms of photo you said that it kind of became a thing was it a journalist or a photographer or something said to you when there was basically a newborn going to be around you kind of had it planned yeah well everything was timed like it, it like we keep it a secret until we knew you know we needed it you know what i mean i mean they obviously the staff knew and stuff like that but we wouldn't tell the public and sometimes it would be in front of them but they might notice it um and um, but like we'd usually wait till a big maybe the weather we, we'd look at the weather forecast the weather was going to be decent we'd put something out for that guaranteed coming up to like a big occasion like mother's day or valentine's or you know father's day that type of stuff we'd we tie it into a story mm-hmm. um or again school holidays or something like that as well you know like i'd wait and i'd always kind of I picked in if I felt if it was a very local story, I'd go earlier in the week to get into the regional papers, the likes of your your weekly papers. You'd have to go on a Tuesday with the story. If I wanted to kind of go national, I would wait till Thursday to get into the Fridays week, or even wait till Friday itself and get into some of the Saturday papers. But for national radio, Friday afternoons, they're always looking for a feel-good story and national TV the same. You What's know, funny, so. even the way even the way you're saying that, and the way you're saying the days and the times, and you know, knowing the newspapers, knowing the radios yeah. and stuff like that, like you don't really hear people like say coming out of your classes or Dave's classes or any kind of digital marketing. Class. You just don't hear that talk anymore. Yeah, you don't, and it's still it's funny because like I did, um, and I'm doing another one coming up soon. Actually, I did a PR course um, for CCAT for tourism. Um, um, just before Christmas, I did one last year as well, and um. At, at the start, it was hard to win people over to sign up because they, they see PR as dead and, dead and gone, dead and buried. PR is one of the most useful tools you can ever have. And, like, actually, PR works brilliant when it comes to social. My best, the best pieces of PR I had 
were actually driven by this by the stuff that was being said online because if you think about it nearly all media outlets now have an online presence so they're looking for stories more than they ever were before so actually they're starved of information so if you can give them stuff on a regular basis they'll cover the most like simple of story like you could be opening a new product line it's actually probably easier to get that stuff out through a small digital publication like maybe Cork Bureau, Yay Cork, Echo Live or something like that than it is actually to try and get a big reach on something like Facebook, you know, and they have regular readers that are clicking on and of course they have big channels as well, big communities. So, you know, it's it's about understanding those things as well, the traditional tools and I'm sure David will agree with this, that was one of the things that I think has been missing recently is there's been too much of a focus on digital and they're forgetting that the actual fundamentals of marketing are still the same. Hundred, no, I, I 100% agree with that. And what you see on PR, if someone said, it to me, I think it might have been Jonathan Healy, but there's a lot of people, there's all, again, like you said, there's almost this kind of myth around PR that, you know, it's old age, it's newspapers and so on and so forth. Like, it's difficult yeah. to get stories placed in national newspapers or international newspapers even harder. And what he kind of said is that yeah. if you don't think your story is good enough to end up in a newspaper or isn't interesting enough to end up in a newspaper, what do you think is going to make it interesting enough for social media? Like, we should be striving for yeah. that level of storytelling and that level of content that is really going to engage people. And if you, like, again, if you're looking at a piece of content or a campaign, is this actually worth anything? Is this interesting? Is it different? And that's this question that I'd ask you. Is marketing just gone a bit boring and sterile? Because I found myself the last two years kind of looking out. There's a few exceptions. Nike being a very, very obvious one. Mm. I think Burger King do a great Phenomenal, job. Phenomenal, yeah. But, um... There's a yeah. lot of going around. And I just look at even international big brands and I'm just going, geez, fuck, this is boring. This is boring. Like in a world of Donald Trump and Black Lives Matter and Pandemic, all these big, huge global issues. If you talk about attention and all this stuff is going on, if you want to get noticed, you've got to do some pretty exciting stuff. And I haven't seen a huge amount of it recently, to be honest with you. I don't know is that because people are devoid of ideas or are people playing it very, very safe because they're afraid or oh, this will go against me in some way, or I could end up getting bad PR and all the rest of it. I'm not sure what it is, but I just find yeah. marketing was a, was a creative art, and it's become very, very sterile. Yeah, I, I, there's a there's a lot of that. I, I struggle sometimes to get new cases. I feel like, God, I'm still saying this, some of the old stuff. I'm still like, going back to Dove. Yeah, Dove is brilliant. Like some of the old Dove stuff, unbelievable. I often talk about, you're talking about companies that have changed the game. Dollar Shave Club, to me, was one of the best ones I saw in years. And then Unilever bought them for for a billion dollars. But that was in the space of a few years. But they were so innovative with their campaigns in the early days. They built a massive audience of about 3 million subscribers on the back of the, the CEO kind of being mad. Basically, yeah, he was, he was a trained comedian, I think it was actually, he was, as yeah. a profession. And he brought, he brought that to his video. And of course it makes sense. Like, can you imagine, like you see, like we see them the whole time in B2B, right? The, the talking head video. Can you imagine if he invested the budget that he spent in that in a talking head video going, you're talking about just his blades. Like yeah. he, that company would be dead today, probably. Be dead. And instead, billion it's dollars. Huge. 
Yeah, I know it's in the UK and everything. It'll probably be over here too. So, like, I mean, he walked away, I think, from, from them last year, but um, which was a pity because he was still acting CEO, I think, for them uh, under the Unilever brand. But, like, that's just the case there where by just by being mad, one of the best, I'm always looking for cases there in relation to TikTok because it's the new one. So, I'll be looking for something like, what's, what's different here? Is there anything? I find it's all just individuals and content creators, but I came across a brilliant one, Elf Cosmetics. And, um, um, I wasn't familiar with the brand, but it's, but then it's when you go around to some of the, the chemists and you see their brand in front of it, and you say, Ah, yeah, no, I know who they are. They did this thing whereby they did, um, uh, they got a couple of people to put out this competition. Eyes that's what ELF stands for, Eyes, Lips, Face. So it's a beauty cosmetic company. And they wanted people to do a little dance with their face, kind of eyes, lips, face, kind of doing the, the movement. Then they created a song, a little jingle around it, Never. and then. Then they got Republic Records involved in it, and they actually made a fucking full song with a music video. They ended up getting, I think, four point one million people to make videos using the the Elf Elf uh, song. Like, imagine four point one million. Something t- it turned out like three billion impressions on TikTok for the brand, and it had loads of celebrity endorsements as well. And they never paid for any of them. Like, you know, like to me. That was embracing a platform, you know, like that was being creative. And I'd love to see more of that stuff. I thought like Nike believe in something, don't that campaign with just Colin Kaepernick was phenomenal as well. Like I just thought that was really good. I think for years uh, until maybe until recently, they've been kind of dying off a bit. I think beats by, you know, by, by Dr. Dre were brilliant. They were the ambush Kings. Like, you know, they turn up at the Olympics and, 10 swimmers have come out to the pool and they all have Beats headphones on. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even though they weren't an official brand partner, you know, there's a lot of that stuff missing. People, I think what you're saying is right. People are afraid or they're just, I think that's what, going back to my anger towards some of the digital advertising is, they're going for the safe bet. They're pumping loads of money into digital spend in terms of targeting people, but they're forgetting that if they were, if they put some money into a bit of creative as well, it might go further, you know? People yeah, can no. talk about them, you know, and that's that's what I'm afraid of. I think some people are missing that. They're becoming, they're they're basing too much of it on metrics all of the time. What's my reach? I I, I often say this thing, like it's it's all about vanity stuff. I've reached three hundred thousand people, yeah, but the sanity is how many people actually really watched it? How many people really watched that video? How many play, just because you pumped it out to a uh, hundred thousand people and you spent whatever amount of money on it, maybe ten grand. Did anybody look past six seconds? You know, did anybody actually comment underneath? Because that's what I would be focused on. Because that's far more important. You know, you know, so I don't know. I just, and and the other thing there again, like when we talk about, we talk about um, PR and stuff, the amount of people that put all their focus into, for example, Instagram and, and TikTok and completely forget that all the journalists are over on Twitter. And never focus on them. And the amount of businesses, I say, you're just missing a trick here. Just building up a relationship alone with the journalist might get you a story. You know, like, you know, just even commenting back, uh, engaging with them. Uh, and I've seen phenomenal reach on that platform as well. You know, um, with, 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 with simple tweets. And I've seen it like uh, I had huge success with PR with Ford in my time there. And the same with Red FM. Like Twitter is a brilliant tool for going viral, much more so than Instagram ever was, you know. And uh, I found that f- 
Facebook back in the day when people were sharing content was really strong for going viral. YouTube is it's because it's probably less of um it's less decision making in Twitter. You retweet a lot quicker, you'll you'll yeah. like it a lot quicker than the other platforms. Yeah, it's easier to do. If you think about Instagram, what you have to do, you have to share it to your story. Will they share everybody's brands to their story? Probably not. And then will everybody Plus, I think people to be fair as well, I think people are a bit more honest on Twitter as well. Yeah. I can't I can't scroll through Instagram. It it annoys me. A lot of people with filters looking wonderful and marvelous constantly. I just, yeah. it just frustrates me. I think yeah. a lot of people, even people who use it, I think a lot of people who use it don't like using it. Yeah. Um and there's loads of studies about oh, the teen depression, all that kind of stuff. But I just think in general people scroll through Instagram and just feel like it's all this fudge. And people don't like to show up, right? Yeah. And yet yeah. that is literally the definition of oh, what nice. Instagram is. Whereas I think with Twitter, is there an element of that? Of course there is. Is there an element of consumer narcissism with all these with all these platforms? Mm. But there's at least a smidgen of conversation going on or a little bit of critical realism that people are more interested. Now that's not true to everyone, but I find um I find that TikTok is fun. Um, What's the fun yeah. And that's great. And you go there for fun. Mm. Um, if I want serious content, I'm probably going to Netflix. I know it's not a social media platform, but it's content ultimately. Yeah. Um, Facebook, I find just boring. And Instagram, I find incredibly frustrating. Um, and then Twitter, mainly news and stuff like that. And I think that, I think there's like the platforms are becoming more alike, but at the same time, they're very, very different still in terms of the types of people and the types of content that you get across each of them. Yeah, different different age profiles, different types of, uh, I suppose, passions in their life as well. So some people are into politics and media, and they're they're going to be over on Twitter. People that are into, I suppose, fashion and food and lifestyle type stuff that are tend to be on Instagram. People are into business related stuff are over on LinkedIn. People are having to crack or on TikTok. You know what I mean? So like you know they're, 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 they vary, and some people cross over all different ones. You know, but um, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. And some people pigeonhole their companies into the into the stuff that uh, they're into themselves, and they forget about where their audience actually are. Yeah, it's true. No, that is true. That is true. Speaking of passions, twenty-four stories. Yeah. What's yeah. your plan? What are you doing? Listen, it's been on pause, and I didn't think it would be on pause this long. I never wanted to go online with it. Was it? You know, I had this conversation with someone else in the com- conference business there this week as well. Um, it's two years since I did the first one yesterday, and uh, the um, I was I had I had a third one booked for last year, and uh, for me, and I was moving it closer to the to the summer, and oh, then obviously everything was called off, and I said, you know, and I was thinking about going online, and then I I've, I've been to online events, and of course I'm teaching all the time, but I felt. The whole point of conferences is people mingling with each other. Agreed, hundred percent. It's not happening online. Anything I've been to online, I've never spoke to anybody else. I feel like I might as well not be there. Well, I think you're you're the, like we were at the last one that you ran, myself um, mm. and Dave were at it together. I think yours yours was slightly different in terms of there was a big focus on that whole networking yeah. element. Like you had the tea and coffees, you had the breaks every yeah. every hour or so. You know, you had the big lunch, which was yeah. very unusual to actually sit down and have a have a lunch or three course. Yeah. You know, lunch together, which was great. So, and then you have a couple of beers then in the, yeah, in the bar I mean, after. I remember a few of us having points with uh, with PR Smith there. In, That's right. Yeah. In, in the bar, you don't usually have that at conferences where you're kind of having the point, having the bit of lunch, having a coffee with people all day long, yeah. you know, and 
somebody said to me that they got a whole they, somebody did somebody I know did a business deal at one of those conferences where they actually it was a couple of grand exchange hands between two different companies because they met each other at the coffee break. That was yourself, Dave Nolan. Diageo, was it? Oh, huh? it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, that's not going to happen online. Like, I mean, I had tickets there to the Web Summit last year, and in the end of the day, I actually didn't log on because I was kind of like, even though there was good lineup of speakers there, the fact that I wasn't in the physical place, it kind of, I forgot about it. Do you know what kind of a way? it doesn't feel the same and it, it, to me it feels like you're on YouTube or something you know because it's fantastic talks on YouTube every speaker that you could ever think of is on YouTube well, I think it's the, difference, it's the difference between like I mean I like and even I find it out for example and obviously like I'd be very much into sport yeah I find it very difficult to watch a match on television whereas uh, going to an actual match itself oh, every, I'd be there with bells on yeah. Do you know what I mean? Love the whole experience, the camaraderie, the atmosphere, whatever you want to call it, the experiential nature of it. If you're sat in even a bar, even a bar is different because at least there's an experience associated with that. Right. If you're yeah. sitting in front of your laptop or in front of a screen and you're watching something, and it's the same at a conference. You don't have the crack. You're not talking to people about the speakers. There's no questions, the few drinks, the night out afterwards. Oh, this like like one of the... One of the one of the most enjoyable things about being an academic is you go to academic conferences. Yeah, academic conferences are brilliant because you're meeting like you wouldn't typically meet. Unlike I suppose, um, unlike I suppose, like you'd meet different marketers in Cork the whole time. I All suppose you yeah. going down to Republic of Work and your yeah. own events and stuff like that. For me, going to academic conferences, you very rarely meet academics outside of your own your own kind of university, shall we say, or at least your own kind of academic community. The MTU and in UCC be pretty close, so. The, the the going to those conferences and just meeting some crazy people all together and great stories and stuff like that. That's what you go to them for. Like, you know, as if I just wanted to listen to someone preach about a paper, I just watch it online, you know? I don't, it's not it's not the same. It's not. Like, I, I, it was funny because I kind of said it to somebody, if I put my foot in it there, I think last year, and uh, I said, you know, I won't be bothered. It's like, I said, you know, I won't be bothered putting a conference on. And it was a musician I was talking to. I won't name names, but if he's listening to the podcast, he know who I'm talking to straight away. Um, and, and I said, um, you know, like, to be honest, like, I wouldn't watch a concert online, like, to be honest, if the truth be told, because it's not, that, you know. <laughs> I'm guessing he's doing, uh, doing he was every he, week or something, is he? Yeah, he was hoping to do it. So that was me. <laughs> but it's, it, it's like that, like, it's different. A TV show is different, like, because obviously that's where we're used to. News is different. That's fine. We're, we're used to all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's why podcasts have grown dramatically, because we're used to listening to radio. You know, and we've seen, we've seen, like, obviously, you know, we we got into it as well, but we've seen the rise in the amount of people going into the podcast uh, over the last couple of months. is it's, it's been huge. It really has, like, even locally, there's so many uh, people doing podcasts now. Yeah, but in many ways, it's the same as all the people, kind of in its own way, kind of the people that are doing content creation on YouTube or, you know, yeah. TikTok or whatever. I think not everyone is suited to that world, but some people are suited to a podcast world because Thanks they might have, you know, it, it depends. <laughs> you see, the difference upon podcasts, I think, are long-form content. Yeah. That's not going to work on a platform like TikTok. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's something that you'll do while you're doing something else. 
you know, like I've I've joked that I've listened to your podcast there and going around Duns and listening to tea. I'm you know putting in the way or at night listening. That's, to tea, that's what know? we get a few people between people, you know, just doing doing the bits around the house on Sunday morning, doing their ironing clothes, you know, they're out for yeah. their walk. That's that's most of the people that that will comment to us that are listening are doing that. It's not sitting down just consuming the content and doing nothing else. Someone yeah. said that to me actually the last day. We probably need to, and again, <laughs> it's one of those things that, given the way that we generally operate this podcast. He was in his car with his kids, and I'd say it was you, Dial, now to be honest with you, but someone called someone a prick, and his kids were in the back. Yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. I'm not quick enough, as we already said, no. with the bleeper. So. No, I think there's research done there. 90% of people listen to podcasts on their own anyway. So I think, you know, very few people listened together. So if they are going around Duns at the moment, don't forget to pick up the Velo coffee there for Dave. So. Oh, good man, good man. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man keep it going keep it coming um look i think um there's some great great uh, nuggets of information in there and we really really appreciate getting you on for uh, episode 20 and uh, thanks very much for coming on thanks a million i enjoyed it lads uh thanks again to everyone for listening uh you can follow us across social media and uh, we'll chat to you again next week take care good luck that was a good bit in that, isn't it?